Good evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. I have a brand new guest on. Her name is Lisa Loftus. She's a CPA. She has over 24 years of experience and began her career after graduating from Tennessee Technological University at RSM International in Washington, D.C. After working in public accounting for RSM as an audit supervisor, Lisa left public accounting to work for Stanley Associates as an accounting manager. While at Stanley, Lisa successfully assisted in taking the company public on the NYSE with their IPO in October 2006, raising over $80 million in capital. Prior to the IPO, she assisted in designing and implementing newly enacted legislation known at the time as Sarbanes-Oxley. Her work satisfied the PCAOB, the SEC and DCAA, as well as the audit teams of both Deloitte and Ernst and Young. Lisa worked through several M&As and Stanley was later merged with CGI Incorporate out of Canada. She returned to her hometown of Cooksville, Tennessee, where she opened her consulting practice in 2007 while working to work as a federal contractor in Washington, D.C. Lisa Loftus, CPA, was a paperless hybrid firm from inception as Lisa worked remotely from D.C. and occasionally met with her clients in person in Tennessee. Lisa volunteered her time to many local nonprofits as well as gave back to the accounting profession by mentoring local high school accounting students through the TSCPA. One of her student teams from CHS competed internationally in a business plan competition sponsored by Microsoft and won third place for best business plan. Lisa also chaired a successful mentoring pilot program with the AICPA Young CPA Committee. This mentoring program was designed to match CPAs with aspiring CPAs from colleges and universities across the United States to help them transition from college life to a professional career. Lisa has worked with small mom-and-pop companies using QuickBooks, all the way to multiple large conglomerates based in Tokyo. Lisa has issued JGAAP reporting packages, as well as USGAAP financial statements. Lisa has found working in with her Japanese counterparts to be very exciting, fulfilling work, and the time zones make the relationship a perfect match. We have become a small firm and are always excited to partner with entities overseas, Lisa says. In 2011, she was selected by the AICPA to participate in AICPA's Leadership Academy and continues to give back to her profession as often as possible by mentoring students and volunteering for the AICPA Scholarship Task Force. I welcome you, Lisa, to the podcast. And, you know, when did you start the White Ribbon? in Tennessee.org. Thank you for having me. Um, so some friends and I gathered uh, together and we actually launched it standing outside of our courthouse on August 2nd of, uh, of 2022. 
Um, and it was actually in response to one of our local elected judges who was publicly reprimanded by the Tennessee Bar Association for sending sexually explicit messages, nudes, um, offering sex in exchange for, you know, better outcomes in their custody cases and, and so on. And, um, you know, we concerned citizens who've been through this legal system and have, our, have had our own journeys decided that we need to do something now. And now is the time to really act on it when we have this case that's finally been um, proven. People have listened to us that are higher than these local judges. And it seems that they're a little more interested in holding people accountable these days for what they're doing in the legal system here now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we want to ride that hope and build this out and offer support to other survivors. And we know there's victims that are going through the legal system now. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to build something here where we could do outreach to people in our area. Obviously, we can't cover the whole country. We would love to do this in other places, but it's going to take people at grassroots level that want to get involved in this um, organization and, and help us build it out across the country. Um, our city, city of Cookville, our mayor, Lauren Wheaton, and the other members on the board voted unanimously to enact White Ribbon Day in November of 2022 to make a proclamation um, that our community is going to stand against acts of violence against women and coercive control and putting people into arrest uh, situations where they're compromising their own ethical, ethical values and morals because they feel like that's their only option in a corrupt legal system. And it's not fair that people have to go, should I break the law to, to actually win what's rightfully mine anyway? No, it shouldn't be that way. And so we want to put a stop to it and, the way that we see moving forward is to train advocates to be in these courtrooms and sit with people. And we can't give legal advice, obviously. We're not attorneys. We don't have attorneys yet. We're we're trying to recruit some. <laughs> Maybe that's yeah. something in the future down the road we could do. But it's so grassroots that we're focusing on creating advocates now and training them. And great news that we got last night is that we've had a, Someone in the legal field way high up. I'm not going to mention any names today just because we're it's beginning in the beginning stages of this, but um, he's going to help us link with NOVA to get a better rate to train volunteer advocates. So if you're retired and you've relocated to our area, which is beautiful, a lot of people have been relocating here to retire, and you want to volunteer and do some good in the community, become a NOVA certified advocate, court advocate, and join White Ribbon's mission on our webpage, whiteribbontn.org, and volunteer a few hours to just go and sit with a survivor, um, someone that's going through the legal system now, and offer them emotional support, and, you know, just be there to hear what's happening in the courtroom, to be a witness to what's going on. And that person that's going through that um, will have another set of ears and eyes to be a witness if something is going on where someone's civil rights are being violated. You know, everything um, is always hearsay this, hearsay that. And now people will have 
someone on their side in court. Because in my case, I thought my attorneys were on my side. But now that I've found out, they're all playing the game on the back end. And it's not necessarily about helping your client necessarily win their case. What I found in my situation, it was how much money can we extort from this person? Because I have been successful in my career and I have made money over my lifetime as a CPA. You make pretty good money. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of things I'm proud of. And so they see that as a target and they want to extract as much money out of people like that as they can. And so that's my testimony to my case. (laughs) And that's like a playbook. Yeah. when you have these, um, when you're gathering these advocates, do you let them know there is a playbook? This is how they destroy a target parent. So since this is all new and it's something we're creating from the ground up, really we're building this from survivor stories. And there's actually people that are still currently victims that are in the system now that I'm, I'm talking to. And I want to say coaching and mentoring through my story of how I survived. And so this is still happening in real time because we don't have the change we need yet. And so a lot of that is stuff that I don't really, you know, I don't know all the answers. And I'm hoping that this person that uh, we have an aspiring lawyer on our board, White Ribbon TN, she's an amazing person. She's applied for various law schools. And um, through that process of applying for law school, she's been introduced to people that are connected with NOVA. And we want to partner with NOVA to bring advocates to our area because we are a rural area and we're very underserved. A lot of the stuff that you see in these bigger cities, we just don't have because no one has. And I don't want to say this in a way that means people don't care, but they not care to step up. Right. Or they're scared to step up. Mm-hmm. The story I get from people is, oh, I hear your story, you know, come forward and let's talk to people that can make change. And they go, oh, well, my wife's the school teacher here and she'll lose her job. Or my husband is a nurse at the hospital and he'll lose his job if I speak out about this situation. And so everyone is intimidated in a small town and without the resources and that knowledge base of how do we proceed, people are terrified to come forward because they see what they did to me in my case. And I can give you a little backstory on that real quick. My ex-husband was a deputy with the Putnam County Sheriff's Department and he was indicted. He was indicted by the FBI for money laundering, cocaine, drug money. And they were also running illegal drugs, doing insurance fraud scams and things like that. And, you know, I was young and naive and didn't understand everything. But by the time I was at the end of my accounting degree, I had put the pieces together that this was illegal activity. So I I filed for divorce and um, they penalized me for it. They wanted me to, quote, stand by my man and, and see him through this federal case where he's doing illegal stuff and they didn't like it. And so in federal court um he was being sentenced my own attorney who's now a judge in this town Wesley Bray advised me because he's obviously in the circle not to go to the federal sentencing I've read the federal sentencing paperwork later that said that my own father showed up who is who told me to hire Wesley Bray him and my uncle who was a true as a trooper told me to hire Wesley Ray, he'd take care of my case. 
And because I thought for full custody. Mm-hmm. And because, I mean, <laughs> when you're dealing with all that, you know, what's going on with my child? And my own father testified against me in a federal sentencing hearing that I was an unfit mother and all this stuff. Although all the stuff that you read about me in the intro is completely legit. Like, uh-huh. I, mean, I don't know how unfit that that could really be. But anyway, that was a narrative they spun in court. And there was actually attorneys that wrote some things up and, and things that they basically lied. People perjured themselves. And, you know, he my ex won full custody. By the end of my case, I had two hours. Mm. supervised visits twice a month with my child and (laughs) I had accomplished everything that you read in the intro by this point and it's like how how can you take custody from me and give it to someone who pled guilty to these federal charges so you know um that's just what the environment that I'm dealing with and I feel like sharing my story gives other people hope and know that they're not alone and that they aren't crazy because they try to make you think you're crazy and you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what these advocates are going to do is help open the doors of communication so that survivors and victims have a safe space to communicate with other people and help build a network of support and kind of link these stories up of who the players are and, you know, what's happening and the corruption. I mean, it's just flat out corruption and extortion. That's basic. Cause I mean, by the time you go through a federal case, like my ex-husband, how much money and assets does he have left? He has nothing. They're obviously going to attack me, the parent with something to extract. Cause if they fight me and I, I want to fight my case and win, I'm going to keep paying attorneys, keep paying attorneys, keep paying attorneys. He has nothing to pay, nothing to pay. So the only way to get money is to fight me. Are you still going through this or is it over? So it's over. Um, My son is now 24. Uh And, um, you know, there was just, it was a long drawn out battle, which ended very poorly for my outcome. But I keep trudging forward because there are still people in the system that are suffering. And, they're scared to death. You know, their, their new spouse, maybe they've gone on to a second marriage and they have a situation from a first marriage or something. And, or maybe their parent works at the school system or something. And if they fight these people, they're going to lose their livelihoods. Just like they basically destroyed my company um, over some stuff because I did come out against these people. And they see what they did to me. And I'm not saying I'm some superstar or celebrity or anything like that. But mm-hmm. if I can accomplish the things that I've accomplished in my life and be successful and not fall into the trap of fast money, easy money and doing it the right way, then what What are they going to do to a school teacher? You mm-hmm. know, like what are they going to do to, you know, somebody that works at the Walmart, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, it's just just a regular average person, just like I was, mm-hmm. but you know, they feel like they have like less understanding of legal lease than, than I do. And I'm like, I know tax law. I don't really understand all this family court stuff. And it scares them. It t- it's terrifying. So in a way coming out helps, but then we need more people to come forward because there's safety in numbers and it can't just be me out here all the time. We more people to come forward and you know that's why I wanted to share my story with you and 
talk about whiteribbontn.org and what our goal is, which this year our word, the word for this year, 2023, is advocates. That's what White Ribbon Australia and everyone else is focused on is we need more advocates. What can we do collectively to get more advocates in the courtroom? Mm-hmm. Um, to, to just be eyes and ears, to report back to certain groups of people that can help us which kind of leads me to what happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great. What happened yesterday. See, a lot of these people think, Oh, I have to drive to the courthouse and then I have to find the, the courtroom. And it, but there's also zoom. You can go on this stuff yeah. in zoom and yeah, it's super easy. Yeah. Yeah. Another uh, development that we had, you know, yesterday was, um, you know, and this this doesn't just affect family court either, what I've uncovered here locally. Um, I have a case that went through probate court. Mm-hmm. Probate court is another area where in our community people are being um, fleeced. That's the only word I can come up with. And we have a local judge here that improperly completed IRS forms related to the sale of some property. They forced the sale of a family farm. Six of the heirs didn't want it. They wanted to keep the family farm. They wanted to try to work it out to where they could buy the one person out that was suing to sell. This judge, who was the judge in my custody case, who went against me, went against the other six people, forced the sale of the property. And then in a penalty phase or something, I don't know what he was thinking, he wrote the order up, which seemed legit, right? But then the tax forms that accompanied it that went to the IRS were completely wrong. And the taxpayer called him out on it. He assessed all the tax to be paid by one, my client, one person, not the rest of the parties in the lawsuit. And the only person that can amend that and change it is the judge's clerk who typed the paperwork up. So I brought this to the attention of the FBI because the IRS can't fix it. We need them to fix it. I can't just go and amend 1099s. CPAs can amend tax returns and things. We can't just go and amend payroll and wage statements and sales of property 1099s and things like that. It has to be the person that originated it. And so the judge refuses to do it. And I spoke to the FBI about it. Like, how can we get help with this? And so I actually was able um, to kind of lobby to get a civil rights agent for our area, which is so exciting. And I had no clue that this was even a thing with the FBI. Mm-hmm. So after I showed them the probate case and they knew my backstory, like when I first sat down, they're like Operation Carnage Shield. I'm like, bingo. So, you know, it, and I told them, I said, these are the players. This is what's happening. And there's more people out here. We just have to communicate and get them to come forward and know their safety in numbers. And he said, we're going to get a civil rights agent on this. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we've made some uh, great progress this mm-hmm. week. I mean, I mean, heck, since August when we started this. Um, and I just. I think it's amazing that people are listening now, I feel like, more so, and are willing to hear people's stories, um, and, and maybe we can help some families and keep people from having their parental bonds destroyed by these family courts and greed. That's just all it is, is greed. Yes. <laughs> they don't care about the children at all. It's about attacking the parents 
when they have money to extract from them and making money for the attorneys has nothing to do with the outcome for the children. (laughs) No, it's in the best interest of their pocketbooks and, (laughs) um, you know, the title 4D incentive. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you have people, you know, I've I've told people, hey, go court watch, you know, you know, uh, one of my friends moved down to Florida and she didn't know what to do with her time. She wanted to meet people. So I said, why don't you go in, into the courthouse and, and court watch? You'll meet a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, or if you want to do that, go on Zoom. And she did, didn't want anything to do with it, probably because she saw my case. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, even though we we have been through this trauma, we're trying to help other people. Yeah. And educate other people on what's really going on yeah it's it's like after you've gone through it and and now that i've had time my son is 24 me me i have nothing to gain or lose by doing any of this Mm -hmm. but for me it's so important that the children that are going through this now don't pay the price that my child had to pay which is they lost a parent they lost a relationship with their parent And I think that when I was going through it, you know, for me, it was always about the safety of my child and what was best for him. But, um, you know, I think sometimes you can lose sight of that in the fight. And this is wrong. And this paperwork is wrong. And this was illegal. They did this. But I think that a strategy that we should definitely be playing up is that everything we're doing is to protect the children, you know. This isn't about, I want 100% full custody and, you know, I want this and I want. No, my case was the father of my child was a police officer at some level who was, you know, he didn't traffic the cocaine himself. His friends did. He laundered the money. And I'm sorry, but that's just not acceptable. Why should my child be raised in that type of environment? Because, you know, I, I... Zebras don't really change their stripes, do they? I mean, people can change, but I know that change is hard because I've had to change myself. And it's something that you have to actively, proactively work on to change yourself. And I just don't see these criminals putting forth that much effort. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the pattern of behavior and abuse that they submitted me to for years in court proves that he was unwilling to even assess what he had done wrong. Mm -hmm. And you know, be held accountable or answer to any of it. He actually, at one point while he was in prison, his family kidnapped my son and I didn't see him for years. And his brother worked for the sheriff's department, the same one he worked for. And when I filed an Amber alert, missing child alert, they refused to issue it. Refused to issue a missing child alert on my child when I had joint custody of my son. His father was in federal prison in Kentucky and I'm the parent. And I'm saying to the police officers, my son is missing, and they refuse to look for him. They refuse to issue an Amber Alert because it's all corrupt. It's all corrupt. You know, it's all, they're all connected. And it's small town. And, you know, it's just, it's terrible. It's terrible. And more people have to speak up. So that's why I want to share my story mm-hmm. and let people know that there is a safe space being built for you to come forward and share your story. And if we can get more civil rights people to work on your cases collectively together, 
it's hard for people at those levels like the FBI and federal government and stuff to to do things if there's not enough cases, right? We need a stack of cases. It can't just be me going forward with my one story, right? So mm-hmm. doing this is going to help us hopefully get those people that are willing to come forward. And, you know, they can't, they can't eat us. <laughs> right. They can't, you know, if they kill us, I mean, they can't kill us all. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, safety in numbers is what I just keep going back to and coming forward. And, and some people may just want an advocate and not really go public with their story, which is fine. We want to respect that and mm-hmm. help in any way we can. Um, you know, and, and the core of what we're doing is, you know, on the domestic violence front, because what this is in court is legal abuse, mm-hmm. which I feel fits the definition of domestic violence because this is being perpetuated by obviously an intimate partner, you know, someone that you had an intimate relationship. And so that partner is, you know, promoting domestic violence through the legal system. They're using the attorneys as proxies, but the attorneys are down for it because they're making money off it. They're profiting off domestic violence. And I also equate it to domestic terrorism, Mm -hmm. you know, because you go back to the patriarchy and, you know, I mean, I'm all for father's rights. Actually, since I've been on this journey, I have advocated mostly for men to get 50-50 custody of their children in in situations where they should have it. I'm not Mm -hmm. no man hater, man basher at all. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, me neither. No. And (laughs) I think that the children should be with the best parent and sometimes the best parent is both of them. And that happens. But, you know, I, I coming through this, I thought, you know, at the beginning that this is going to be me champion for mother's rights and we're going to take these dirty men down. And mm-hmm. what I found is that I've helped more men on getting, helping them, like, you know, mentoring them through my experience. Because what I identified with in my case was I identified more as the father in what happened to me, you know, and so I I have empathy for fathers that just get, you know, treated terribly because maybe their career is that they have to travel a little more so they can't always be there, you know, every other week for their children or whatnot. And so they get taken advantage of. And Mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, women are not paid what men are paid in this country. And so the father may have more income to, to, you know, extract. You know, and so it just makes sense that a lot of fathers are being taken advantage of, too. It it wasn't just one sided, which is what I totally thought when I started this journey. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people are like, what about men? What about men? This happens. Yes, I totally agree. This happens with men all the time, too. It's not just an issue for women. Um, Just like I know that domestic violence is also perpetuated by women and men can be victims and they're shame, shame, you know, they have shame to come forward and they shouldn't. That should be a stigma that's erased. And I just want to fight for a fair legal system so that the children benefit because this is a cycle that we keep repeating and we've got to break the cycle. And the only way to break the cycle is holding those people in the position of authority, accountable to the law. And when local and state judges are not doing it, 
you know, I told the judge in my case, the federal trumps state every day. You know, I, I will. I told him one day in court, I said, I will make it my life mission to somehow take this to the federal level. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yesterday, you know, just hearing the FBI say we should bring in a civil rights agent to this area to look at this stuff, you know, actually like gave me hope that there is hope. It doesn't mean that this is going to happen. I need more cases, you know, one one or two cases is going to do it. We've got to have a lot of people come forward. Mm-hmm. But it gives me hope that you know, they're, they're, they're aware of what's happening. And I think that White Ribbon wants to build awareness about these issues. And, you know, I think that that's really what happened is that they're, the, the federal government now is aware of what's happening, at least in my area. And I want everyone else to have these conversations with these people. And, you know, the federal government is not these scary people and, and things like that. They're people just like you and I, and they have a passion for their jobs and what they're doing. And, you know, could they be corruptible? I guess. But I feel like we've got to give them a chance to help us. And I think that this is going to have to be taken to the next level because state and local people are just not handling these cases appropriately. And right now, we did get some accountability on that one judge, Judge uh, Young, who was an attorney in my husband's case when they were fighting me. He was, you know, sexting and making these offers to women and things like that. And he was suspended twice for 30 whole days. Wow. <laughs> it, in, it ended up being um, up to the voters to vote him out, which is it's pretty scary that you could just have a dirty judge get reelected after all of this stuff. I mean, thankfully, yeah. our voters cared enough about the children. Again, this is all about the children and the future generations of children. Mm-hmm. It's not about me and my case. And what is Lisa getting out of this? I'm getting nothing out of this. Okay. I'm, I'm upsetting some very high up people by doing this, but I'm doing it for the future generations, you know, for the children that come are coming down now, like going through this divorces. I mean, 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's Mm -hmm. just, we don't want to destroy 50% of our children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to see people being held accountable now is giving me hope. And Mm -hmm. I haven't had that in a really long time. So I'm just excited. Yeah, no, the accountability is is what people are really on these judges and attorneys have to be held accountable. They think they're immune, but their day of immunity will be coming to an end because not only you, but there's others that are court watching. And, you know, what you've got to tell these court watchers are is to watch the judge's behaviors. Did he yell at the litigant? Yeah. Did he look at his cell phone while the apo- while the one attorney was talking? You know, you you when you complain about a judge, you've got to complain about the behaviors, not the ruling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's where we got this judge was his behaviors. I mean, and it wasn't even really his behaviors in the courtroom because you know I'm continuously learning like that. Like you're so, and that's why you're so wrapped up in your case and the order and the legalese of it that you lose sight of those little nuances that you could get them on. And I, I feel like that's where we have to come together and communicate these things and educate Mm -hmm. each other. Because I, I, 
I'm an, an infant level knowledge of this stuff. I'm not a lawyer. I'm a CPA. I know tax law. I could look at a divorce from a tax financial statement perspective and say something looks fishy, you know, uh, or these tax forms look suspect or something. But I can't speak to the legal part of it because I just mm -hmm. know what I experienced and what happened to me, you know, and other people's stories. And that's what we've got to get to is other people's stories mm -hmm. and make people feel comfortable coming forward, you know, and, you know, yeah, you're probably going to make a few people upset. <laughs> and if you've got a current case, I mean, I can't, you know, you can't guarantee outcomes in anything. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a risk that's worth taking for the kids, you know, the future generation mm -hmm. of children. Like, I don't want my grandchildren to have to go through what I went through. Mm -hmm. Because that's how they're keeping rural America in poverty. Oh, yes. Like, the probate case that I gave to the FBI, they extracted over $40,000 from this family in legal fees and other fees that, you know, possibly could have been avoided had they maybe had a better mediator or, you know, something like that. And I'm not saying mediation is the answer because that was a waste of time in my case, but mm -hmm. I know there's a solution that's cheaper than $40,000. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and I don't have the answers, but doing this show with you and you doing what you're doing, we're going to get to the answers eventually. And we're going to mm -hmm. find a lot of smart people that want to come together and share what we've all learned and come up with a better you know, way to move forward in family court. And, you know, let's just reform it all. Let's just, just. Yeah. Well, you know what? I say abolish it and yes. go back down to civil court where, you know, you can choose, you can get, if a parent wants a six man jury, when it gets to a point where there's alleg false allegations and things like that, it just, um, family court is really technically a kangaroo court. Yeah. Uh, what, I, I could suggest to you is maybe get some advocates and get them trained as ADA advocates would yeah. really help uh, a lot of your, uh, you know, people going through this because as soon as you set foot into that courtroom, I, I can't even call it a family courtroom, <laughs> but you're already disabled. Yeah. They're, they're already, you know, it's all, the case is already decided. People need to know this. So, Okay, I was talking to the guy that was installing a window, and I was asking him if he knew what Title Four D is. I try to educate people, right? And I said, "Have you ever been in a family courtroom?" And he was a smart cookie. He said he and his ex went into the family courtroom once. They were so horrified they walked out and said, "We can figure stuff out on our own, and we're not doing this." Yeah. And I thought, bravo for him and her. You yeah. know. Uh, People, I think there's a lot of people that think, oh, we're going through a divorce. Okay, let's let's run into a courtroom. You don't have to run into a courtroom to have to file, you know, you can each go to your own attorneys. You know, some one of you can drop a settlement. And if you disagree, you know, just talk about it. You can talk about it. that's what you know yeah. we did. We co-parented for almost 10 years until he remarried a woman who worked in the courthouse yeah. who began to insert herself into the co-parent relationship and the relationships of my children. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there yeah. is proof that people can co-parent, but these are people that are mentally stable. It's yeah. when you get a personality disorder. That's when these problems come in. This is where an ADA advocate would be useful. Yeah. 
And again, court watchers, a lot of them, we need a lot of them. Yeah. I totally agree with you. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like for 2023, the mission is where we wanted as much funding from, I mean, we'll take funding from state and local governments that want to step forward and be the pioneers in abolishing, as you said, family court and, mm -hmm. You know, let's take it to the basics, you know, and we, we want federal funding to, you know, train these advocates because I can't write the check for everybody. You can't write the check. I mean, especially after we fought these legal battles that are, mine was hundreds of thousands. I lost the millions. Oh, no joke. When I calculated. Sorry. And, you know, lost, lost income because I was between my therapy I was ordered to, which I have no mental disorder and I'm not knocking people that do have mental health issues because I understand. And that's why you need the ADA because people that are mentally challenged in some capacity need an extra voice because mm -hmm. we, we don't want them acting their mental disorder out in court, you know, mm -hmm. but we, and we want them to be respected, but you know, it, it's, it's like, I don't, sorry, this is my PTSD. This is what happens. And then I look crazy. I forget what I'm thinking. because I Oh, get no, I do it too, because it's from the trauma yeah. of going through family court, losing your child yeah, uh, based on false accusations or whatever they dreamed up. <laughs> and, you know, it's always whatever the opposing attorney calls out first. I don't know why. You know, I of course it's rigged, but they'll call out Oh, he or she is mentally unstable. He or she is alienating the kids. And it's like, what? So they're, you know, abusing a lot of things. They're abusing the term mental illness as well as parental alienation. They don't even know what they're talking about when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Like they kept saying that I was, quote, crazy and crazy. And, you know, you're doing a disservice to people that really have a mental disorder. You're, you're, you're treating them like trash. And it did come out that my ex had a mental disorder. And once that came out, it was just eye opening why things were happening and happening the way they, you know, mm -hmm. and they were just exploiting his mental illness to gain financially. And it's just sick. It's oh, sick it that they would use someone's mental illness against their, the child of that person. You know, because this has nothing to, you know, we're not talking me and my ex. This is about our child and his outcome and, and other people's children. And to exploit my ex-husband's mental disorder, to financially gain a position and use my child as a pawn mm -hmm. is twisted. It's just twisted and sick. And, you know, for everybody out there that does have mental disorder, you know, I feel like White Ribbon Tennessee we want to advocate for you too. Like you should not be, your situation should not be exploited in a court of law. You have a disorder. So what you're on medication for it. Um, as long as you're handling your situation, you're not here committing crimes and doing illegal stuff and, you know, whatnot, then, you know, you should have an advocate and you should have a say and a voice. It doesn't make you a bad parent. Mm -hmm. but don't let these people use your mental illness to exploit your child. Like it's right. just, I, I go back to, you know, child exploitation, like the, you know, the, the kid, like my kid was literally kidnapped. He was mm -hmm. exploited to the definition in every possible way. Except as far as I know, he was never sexually abused, but you know, I mean, 
it's just, you know, they say, oh, we care about child exploitation. Well, family court is doing it every day for profit. Like, I liken it to human trafficking, mm -hmm. you know, child, child trafficking. Like, if you were to go to a community, you know, local coffee shop in my community and talk about children being trafficked right now, oh, Lord, you, you, you would have so many people upset and would not stand for any of that happening in their community. But what they don't realize is it's happening every day in the courthouse. Right. Perpetuated by judges and lawyers. And the, the thing is, yeah, the, exactly. My children were trafficked for money because, you know, it, there's always motives. You know, let's call this person mentally ill, even though they took <laughs> the judge asked what I was on. And it was only 0.25 of Advan. That's like, that's like a tiny crumb. It's about yeah. this big. It's so tiny. And suddenly I'm mentally ill, even though I've been <laughs> a nurse for tw almost 23 years. Okay, yeah. so they run with that. That's got to stop. That's where, you know, even I could have used an ADA advocate, even <laughs> though I am I was a registered nurse and I was a seasoned registered nurse. I, you know, and the thing is, these judges have to be held accountable for, you know, putting someone through that mm -hmm. type of legal abuse, psychological abuse, and your children through child psychological abuse. Yeah, Definitely. I think for me, when they did my psyche vow in court, which I was thrilled to do because I, I, I thought I was crazy. And I'm like, you know, maybe I will get the help I need. Maybe it will come out that I am crazy and I'm willing to submit to the test. I'm not going to fight it. I'm mm -hmm. going to do it. I want to know. I really want to know. I, of course, I had to pay for the test <laughs> and everything right. with it, um, which I could have done on my own. But I didn't think at the time, you know, before all this happened that I was crazy. But I did go through it and it came back that I didn't have any kind of mental disorder that my ex did. But over time, after continue, after that, they continued to use these things against me mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. make me crazy. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, in speaking to this guy who was court appointed, their guy analyzing my brain told me, you're not crazy. You are not crazy. They're making you crazy. The gaslighting. They're causing you trauma, mm -hmm. which is going to end up making you have PTSD. Mm -hmm. And my case is so old because my son is 24 and this is a long battle that, I, you know, don't quote me on this because I'm not a psychologist, but in the DSM, there was some fuzzy stuff with PTSD and is it a mental disorder? Is it not? I think now it could be, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's why, you know, I, I do recognize signs in myself that I have PTSD. Oh, yes, me too. It wasn't diagnosed at the time because it was so fuzzy on, is it in the DSM? Because, you know, it goes back to funding for veterans and stuff that had it. I think there was some pushback on that. And not to get political in another story, but I think that's why there was some hesitation to call PTSD a mental disorder. And so you can have the court inflict a mental disorder onto you. Oh, yes. And worse yet, it also they can inflict personality disorders onto your children. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and <sighs> see, that's the thing. It's like, that's where the cycle has to be broken because we're creating the next generation of these people. They're going to grow up to be humans. They're going to have children. Half of them we know are going to end in divorce and they're going to be right where we were. 
you know, mm-hmm. and do we want that for our children? Do we want that for our grandchildren? Do we just want that in a hundred years from now? No, we have to break the cycle now. We have to be the ones to do it. No one else is going to do it. We have to be the ones to do it. There's not going to be some white knight riding in a horse. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, ironically, the judge that replaced uh, Jonathan Young, her last name is Knight, and she's a woman. So, I mean, I'm loving that. Yeah. <laughs> My higher power has a humor. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and another thing is, like, I'm not a man hater and everything, because, like I said, I've supported more men in this journey of, hey, you should not be treated that way. That is not correct. Your civil rights are being violated. Mm-hmm. And blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I'm not an attorney. I just know from mine because my civil rights have been violated, right? Mm-hmm. So I can see the similarities and everything. But, you know, um, to have more women in the courtroom as well, because it has been mostly male dominated. And this is something that I say. Laws written by men are going to benefit men mm-hmm. most of the time, unless there's money to be get- made. Mm-hmm. right but domestic violence laws are slanted to benefit the men like oh there was a case here that my friend he's a domestic violence advocate and he was in court court watcher and there was a man up for abusing his wife and he said oh i'm not going to implement this because his gun will get taken and we've got a hunting trip this weekend so i'm gonna make this order effective when we get back from our hunting trip so he doesn't lose his gun for the trip mm-hmm. how, how do you how are you re- presiding over a case of your hunting buddy in a domestic violence case where you are going to rule that the order of protection is going to go in effect after the hunting trip but this guy's going to have a gun like oh my god what is this is happening in tennessee court this- right? my, my friend was a court watcher on that one it's like what in the <laughs> Right. This is why it is not a real courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, and these court watchers, you know, I recommend taking uh, a legal pad and take notes as soon as everybody starts talking. If you're if you can write fast or if you enjoy that type of thing, do it and take notes because sometimes things get missed and they're not in the transcript, as we all know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or you agree to something in court, both parties agree to something and then when you get the actual order it's skewed to the other party that happens a lot here oh yeah 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 um there's just so much um also the age of the judge um i don't mean to go into ageism but Mm -hmm. some of them are too old to be on the bench (laughs) yeah i mean don't don't you want to go golfing and enjoy your, you know, your time off and maybe do some woodworking and, you know, have some parties and just enjoy your life. Why do you want to go back into the courtroom? Oh, cause they're, they're collecting their pensions. Right. And then they, sometimes they get called back in if, if they're short judges, right. Yeah. Then they're being paid again to sit on the bench. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the whole thing just, We've got to get people that care, willing to come forward, and let's just get rid of it and start over. Back to the basics, you know, focus on the children, the outcome for the child. You know, this whole what's best interest of the child is just a lie that they say to make themselves sound good. It's 
it's like, what do they say now? Like when people take photos of good deeds and stuff, that's basically Mm -hmm. what they're doing in the courtroom. They're like, oh, I said that line. So I'm doing good deeds today. You know, you're Mm -hmm. you're really not. (laughs) You're really not, you know. You're, you're destroying families and creating, continuing the cycle. And what I want to do is break the cycle, in the cycle. And if we've got to go to the feds to make it happen and get civil rights agents on these type of cases and take those court watching notes and go get copies of these orders these judges are, are filing and, you know, when they issue tax forms through the court, probate courts and stuff, get copies of them, you know, and turn them into your local FBI field agent. You mm-hmm. can do IC3.gov complaint and submit all your paperwork there anonymously. Um, so you don't have to go in person because I know it's intimidating and scary. And some people, like I said, maybe in an active situation where they have an open case. And they're afraid of retaliation. And that's purely what I suffered was retaliation because, again, I didn't stand by my man. I didn't stand by my police officer husband who was getting indicted by the FBI for money laundering. I mean, I'm an aspire, at that point, I'm an aspiring CPA. I'm not trying to get involved in money laundering. I'm right. trying to do the opposite of money laundering. Right. Like, uh. why in the heck would I even want to be a part of that? And then because I didn't stand by my man, mm-hmm. they're going to penalize me and make me pay by taking my child from me and everything that I had accomplished, which you can't take my words and accolades away, but you can take my money. You can take my livelihood away. You can eat up my time because going back to that whole thing, my therapy, my two children's separate therapies, um, family therapy with one child and dad and then the other child and dad and me and then you know having to go and speak to the school and then having to go and do court in two different courtrooms over two different situations like I had a domestic violence case and family court case then my son actually got in trouble there was three cases at once because he was acting out and got arrested and there was just stuff happening all over. And by the time you add that up, I had no time to really do paying work. I, at one point, my schedule for my business was eat up. I had like maybe a half a day, twice a week to actually take on work and do work. And that's oh. what they do. They put you on that hamster wheel. Of- oh, yes. Yes. In fact, you, you should have had my judge because he handled three cases at once. <laughs> He was handling child custody, which was technically what he was supposed to do. Then he would bounce around to a pension fund. Then he would bounce around to child support. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, can we stick to one topic? Isn't that what we're here for? <laughs> and and child support is handled somewhere else. Why are we doing this now? And they were coming after me for child support, even though they made me lose my job. See, that's another playbook game is yeah. get the person, you know, either the mom or the dad to lose their job and then go after them for child support, then put them in jail. That's a good way to get them away from their children. In fact, I overheard a cell, you know, like when people talk on the cell, you can hear what Mm -hmm. what the other person's saying because they're loud. But my son was holding the phone because he just wanted to stay one extra night. And, um, you know, I was standing by my son and he was holding the phone. The father said, if you don't come home, 
tonight I'm going to send your mother to jail and you'll never see her again. And it's like, oh, well, you know what? He did it. He did that anyway. But uh, <laughs> um, that this is a, a child's worst fear. And how can any parent, you know, that's the, the mother or child, a mother or father of your child. How can you possibly treat them like that? If you really love your child? Yeah. We're dealing with sociopaths. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It came out that my ex, uh, they had, he had a narcissist, he was narcissistic and borderline personality disorder. So all black, all white thinking there can be no in the middle. And I think that's what's happened with a lot of our people today is that mental illnesses can be brought on because of your what you're hearing, what you're living, what you're experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. It happened to me. I I ended up with symptoms of PTSD um, after years of battling corrupt uh, family court system, right? And so I think what's happened to a lot of people in society is that they they are exhibiting traits of that disorder where it's all one way or all the other. So like, you know, not to get into too much politics, but judges are elected. Um, people that vote straight blue ticket and can't see anybody that is a conservative as having any kind of good ideas is not mm-hmm. good thing. It's not healthy thinking. Same thing for people that vote just a red ticket all the way and think that all democratic ideas on the other side are just crazy. That is a, that is, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I learned this through experience. Um, because, you know, he had this disorder and I learned a lot about mental illness because my brain doesn't work that way. And they cannot accept anyone else that thinks in the gray zone. You know, they may think, oh, I like this about this side. And I like this about this side. They think those people are crazy mm-hmm. when in fact they're the crazy one because they can only see it this way completely or this way completely. There can be no merging of the two and go hey you know what i'm conservative on this and i'm liberal on that so you know what i might be a moderate you know or Mm -hmm. i lean this way or that but it goes back to i think that people have experienced things in the community that has brought on these mental disorders Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i would have never even dreamt i'd say those words because i'm not in that field and it's just my experience in learning about mental disorders after going through my case and seeing this happen. Like I go to Walmart and I get triggered by my PTSD because I hear people verbally abusing their partners in Walmart, just <laughs> walking down the aisle. And they just think it's normal to speak to people that way. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm so triggered right now. Like, yes, that word triggered, it's a real thing. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, like, I-, I can't. <laughs> I totally understand because I, you know, I feel sorry for my current husband. I've been married to him for 11 years, <laughs> but he, he, you know, we were sitting on the couch and he made this really loud noise and I looked over at him and I said, what did you do that for? And it's like, yeah, you know, and he goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but it's like, I can't handle loud noises. I can't yeah. handle, um, you know, it's just, it's like, um, I can't describe it. You know, family court has left me with anxiety uh, okay, okay. I had anxiety, to be honest with you, before family court, because being um, a cardiac nurse, an emergency room nurse, you're going to come home rattled from things yeah. you did. 
And so that's why I took the crumb of 0.25 Ativan. Sorry. Uh, you know, I just should have told the judge I take vitamin C. You know, if a judge ever asks you what you're on, just tell him vitamin C. It's none of his business what you're on. Okay. So, um, so I already had anxiety, but then when you go in the family, this, this court, you're going to get anxiety. You're going to get depression. You're going to get complex post-traumatic stress disorder because, you know, the family court can drag things out for years. And then, you know, you know, it, yes, PTSD, but it's mostly complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. And, and this is being inflicted on our children. Yeah. How dare they? I know. And that's what I see. I, I see this in the broader community and people are walking around not knowing why their loved ones have, have are acting this way or believing this. It's like, you knew some people 10 years ago or 15 years, they didn't think the way they're thinking today. And I think right. it has to do with what we're enduring. Mm-hmm. And again, if 50% of divorces in or marriages in the divorce, and we're getting pumped through the legal system and you've got 2.2 children, look at that, like extrapolate that, you know, multiply, multiply that out to, you know, fast forward 15 years. Those kids are now adults like my son. He's 24, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying he has a mental disorder or anything, but, you know, to believe that kids don't come out of this unscathed, <laughs> it's right. night. You're you're being played, okay? You're being mm-hmm. played if you believe yeah, that. And like, kids are not resilient. No, they're going to deal with this trauma. Yeah, and I mean, I I suffered trauma, and I do have PTSD symptoms from it. You know, I I don't take anything for it because I have learned tools to cope with it. Like I don't like loud noises. I tell people, don't don't slam things. I hate slamming doors and cabinets. Mm-hmm. I got the soft close when I redid my house. Mm-hmm. Like. like you know, there's just things that you do to cope with it. And, you know, fortunately for me, I can manage it to a degree, but some people can't and they suffer tremendously. And the children are not escaping this, mm-hmm. that they're suffering along with this, mm-hmm. you know, and think about that. Like how many kids were going through this when my son was going through it and they're 24 now as well, mm-hmm. you know, and some of those people might be like you and I. And now may have PTSD because of it or some other mental disorder. They got brainwashed into thinking that borderline personality disorder is correct and that healthy individuals are the crazy ones. Mm -hmm. I mean, that can happen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why there's so many people out there with mental disorders now and they need help. Like, and Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'll ever be free of PTSD. Mm -mm. I don't know that it's something you can ever overcome completely I think you can mitigate the problem to a degree but it's just best if people are not traumatized and right. get mental disorders and we and, gotta stop it right and this is why family court has to be abolished because you know okay so they're churning out um people with they're they're installing personality disorders in these kids that they're letting you know an abusive parent have them whatever the situation. So they're counting, this court system is counting on them growing up, marrying someone, and then treating them the same way because it, this kid is still, this adult is stuck in that trauma of what happened yeah. when they were 14, 12, 10, whatever age. They haven't gone to a, 
you know, someone to talk to about this, to get through this and um, get through that baggage so they don't unload it on a really mm -hmm. nice person. They could meet yeah. a really nice person and just blow it. Yeah. And make that person pay. And I know this is horrible. Everyone's going to think I'm horrible. I'm sorry. But, you know, I don't think it's a safe place to bring babies into this world anymore. I'm sorry. But yeah. it's, after what I have seen and heard, <laughs> I, I know yeah. that's horrible, but it's it's really not. I mean, and that's why I keep saying we've got to break the cycle because it's sad. Like, you know, I love my kids. Obviously, I would have went to yeah. battle to the end right. for them. And, you know, my daughter does not want to have children. My son, he he jokes around. I made you a grandma. And it's like, he doesn't want kids either. He just says it to annoy me. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, he, 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 you know, neither one of my kids really want children. And unfortunately, okay, so my son, you know, they alienated him. They at the end of my case, I had two days of two-hour supervised visits by the end of it. And I just, I told the judge, you know, I'm not willing to accept that. I'm not a criminal. I'm not a pre sexual predator. I didn't commit any crimes. I don't know why my visits are supervised and now only two hours twice a month. And, you know, mm. they actually at one point wanted me to do them in the justice center. My two-hour visit, like I'm a criminal at the jail or something I'm like no oh and no I, yeah I mean in the end I just said I'm not going to put my son through this anymore and I just stopped go, doing the supervised visits and I just I walked away and one of my friends and I, oh let me tell you this I'll say friend in a loose term because I don't want enemies and you know he I think he's done some shady stuff too he's a lawyer but he's amazed in here. And he told me when I was going through my situation, you know, because I, I thought he was a friend of mine, but he actually attempted to rape me at one time. So, you know, after this happened, and I think that he was a predator at the end. But so I use the word friend because I yeah. thought he was a friend. And he told me, he goes, you know what, Lisa? He goes, have you ever heard of the story of the baby in the Bible where the two mothers came and one mother claimed it was her baby and the other baby? Mother claimed it was the her baby, and the the court said we're just going to cut the baby in half, and you can have half the baby. And the idea, he said, was the real mother, the one with love in her heart, will just walk away to save the child's life, and that's basically what I did. And it's like you know, I just cannot inflict any more harm on my child at this point because I'm not going to win. I mean, they've already taken all my dime with my kid down to supervised visits twice a month. It's not fair to my son to have to feel like he's done something wrong to have a supervised visit with his mommy. So when he was about 15, 16, I just stopped. I was just like, you know what? You're old enough to kind of discern right from wrong. When you're old enough, you can build a relationship with me outside of the courthouse and we can start over. And, you know, I lived on the hope. What they say is that, hey, when they turn 18, They'll come back around. And he didn't because he had been brainwashed. Your mother doesn't love you. She gave up on you. She didn't fight to the end. Like, I didn't fight till he turned 18. Like, I fought till he was basically 16. and was like, mm -hmm. you know, at 16, they can make their own choices to some degree in the courtroom. And, you know, he's being manipulated clearly. And 
I just want to end this for my own sanity, save my child's sanity that he has left, and hope for a better future in later. And everybody said, you know, live on that thought that when he turns 18, he'll come around. So he turned 18, and I waited, literally had my phone on the loudest ring for a year till he turned 19. And when he turned 19, his 19th birthday, I hit rock bottom and I had a meltdown on his 19th birthday because he had never called me. I waited a year and it really bothered me. And so I don't tell people that because I feel like, I mean, I was never suicidal or anything. And this is kind of upset. I was, I was never suicidal, but I can see other people mm -hmm. going through this that are told that. Oh, when they turn 18, they'll want to build a relationship. No, they, no, they don't. Not always. In my case, he didn't. And, you know, I, I hit rock bottom. I mean, you know, luckily for me, I am pretty resilient. Um, I didn't want to harm myself or anything like that. But, you know, I did exhibit some other negative behavior traits that I do, you know, because I was upset about this, that, you know, what I had hoped isn't happening. And, you know, I had to grieve another loss. Uh -huh. Setting yourself up for failure when you tell people those things. And that's something I learned is don't tell people that. That's not true. You don't know that that's going to happen. They're right. so brainwashed that they hate the other parent at this point. They think the other parent is just bad and evil and awful. And they've done all these things to the other parent and this and that. And they're they're buying the kid whatever they want. <laughs> they're using money as a, a weaponized, oh, you know, this is what happened with my oldest. And I feel very bad for her right now. And I've, you know, reached out multiple times, nothing. And I'm not going to continue to reach out. Relationships work both ways. I've mm -hmm. done my share of reaching out. And if she wants to reach out, I'm always here. And the middle one was um he was going down the road of, um, I, I, well, they were making him incredibly miserable anyway. I mean, I, uh, it, that's kind of a, a story. But when he was, you know, he turned 21, he wanted to come down and show us his new car. And uh, my dad was here at the time. And so he wanted to show grandpa his car. So it's like, oh, you have to get through me to see grandpa, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I was the one who opened the front door. And, you know, it, the poor thing, he couldn't look me in the eye. He was tearful, yeah. flat affect. And so, I mean, I just played like nothing happened. You know, I was, I was cheerful. I was happy. I, and, you know, I said, grandpa wants to take us to Permanis, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, throw Permantes an ad. Um, but, you know, even there, he, he, he just wouldn't look, he was almost tearful. I was showing some of showing him some of my funny TikToks, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, we ate and we went back here. And so he had to leave to go back over there. Yeah. And um, so I said, oh, let me sit in your car. What's that? It's like, it sits too low. I don't want it. But I didn't tell him that. Um, but, you know, when I was at Permanis, I had that that duck, drunken duck. <laughs> yeah. Give you a rubber duck. So when I was at Permanis, I said to him, do you want the little rubber ducky? Because I was like trying to joke with him. 
And he said, oh, yeah, sure. You know, I mean, he was, he was just, you know, so when I sat in the car, I just like took it out of my pocket and threw in his cup holder. Yeah. And he didn't he didn't see that. So when he left, he did tell me he loved me. Oh, but things yeah. have to go like super slow, like slow motion. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just um, once they get past that fog, mm-hmm. hopefully, yours will come around. Well, what ended up ha- we do have we did talk, and it, it like you said, it's very slow motion. It was like my parents had to do the introduction with yeah. me, like your, and 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 it was kind of like. It's, it's like an abused puppy. Like you're like, you know, and it's like, you know, exposure therapy, I guess, to see that we are the monster that we were made out to right. be. And what happened for me was that my son could not maintain a relationship with a woman. He was having problems yes. keeping a healthy relationship with women i mean he's 24 so i can say women these are not girls these are Mm -hmm. women and you know he had some nice girlfriends over the years that i did get to meet during all this and he had a few that you know mom wasn't necessarily like jumping for joy for but he's a kid he's gonna meet different people and that's part of life and learning different people and how they are and seeing what you like and what you don't like and when i walked away you know my fear was that he would learn to treat women how his dad treated me in court and not learn a healthy relationship with a woman via me, his mother. Obviously, no incestual thing or anything like that. I'm just saying that boys need a female figure in their life mm-hmm. and they need to see this female figure in their life being treated by other men in a healthy way, respected, appreciated, thanked, you know, Hey, can you help me out with something? And a woman can help a man with a problem, like Mm-mm. all healthy things. He never got to see that because his father has these problems, you know, and he came And that's actually what he did. He reached out to me and said, mom, I don't know if he went to therapy. I think he went to therapy possibly is what I, it's, it's been a little while and it just shocked me. And I think that that's what happened. He went to therapy to figure out why he had no good relationships with these women he was dating. He liked them. He was finding good girls, but he couldn't maintain that long-term relationship with them. And I think that what he had said, because it's been a while, but his therapist was like, it's because you don't have a relationship with your mother. And you learned how to treat women the way that your dad treats women, which is not obviously working out for you because you you learn how to treat women from your father right and male figures in your life like you see your father beat your mother I'm not saying you're going to be a wife beater but it was acceptable right and so this acceptable behavior it could lend itself to abusive patterns later right could I'm saying good mm-hmm. and that's what he had told me he came to me and said Mom, I want to have a relationship with a woman. I want to get married someday. And I can't do it if I don't have a relationship with you. So I have to start with you and rebuild. And I was just like, everything I've been saying (laughs) has happened. And so that was kind of like my thank you. Thank you. Yes, this is what I wanted. And it's been 
very slow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and it was very like no affection. Everything was subdued. Couldn't really make eye contact mm-hmm. um, and all those things that you said. But now we actually talk on the telephone. We talk on the cell phone. Um, he'll pick my car up and go wash it for me. And mm-hmm. Um, you know, change the oil for me and, you know, just things that, you know, boys can do for their moms and Mm -hmm. nice things. And if he does find a relationship with a woman, he can go and do these things for her. And that's something that women appreciate. Like, I don't really want to go and take my oil, get my oil changed. Right. (laughs) Um, He's doing it for me to show me affection and, and take, take care of me. And now he's learning how to, to be a young man, you know? And he didn't have that before. And I feel like that's what family court's not realizing. And it goes the same way for fathers. If boys and stuff don't have healthy male relationships to model, right? you know, their lives after, then, you know, they're set up for failure from the get-go. And, and I say that, you know, these need to be healthy people in the relationships. And I'm not saying that if you have a mental disorder, you shouldn't co-parent. Or if you're taking some kind of medication, you shouldn't. But as long as everyone understands the mental disorder and we understand how it presents itself and the issues we have to deal with and overcome on the challenges and everybody's on board, even the kids, the kids mm-hmm. need to know these things. And it's not trash talking the parent. It's just, hey, mom or dad might exhibit this behavior sometime that has nothing to do with you, you know, but we will work through it. It'll, you know, you know, whatever, whatever your safety plan is, or if somebody needs help or whatever. But, um, these kids need that. And that's what family court's not doing is looking at it and going, who's the healthy parent? Who's the parent that maybe needs some services? Maybe they do need some therapy. Maybe they do need some medication or whatnot, but you know, they're making the wrong decisions when they say, okay, you know, uh, you're in counseling. So um, even though you were 50, 50, uh, we're going to withhold the child and they can stay with the abuser until uh whatever i mean this is what this is what they're doing to people they're i don't i don't know what to say but i'm totally appalled not only at your case but my case and other cases i have heard that uh this family court it needs to be abolished and take it back to civil court and I just had uh, Robert Hansen on. He's a reporter. And he was saying, okay, if things aren't resolved in three years, then it goes before a jury. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, that's a good idea, but I, I don't want to wait three years. <clears throat> yeah, Something can't get resolved within a year. Then let's put it th- this before a jury. Yeah. And, um, he, you know, there, there was also a comment made by someone that, that said, well, just, uh, you know, one parent's going to lose out. And yeah. it's like, oh, that that's not okay. Yeah. They, they need both. They, they need both parents. Third parties, such as fa- stepfathers, stepmothers, need to butt out. Yeah. If if there is a functioning co-parent relationship, leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. and it just you know, and and they have to just bite the bullet and understand that that whoever they married has a co-parent relationship. Deal with yeah. it. You know what you married. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I have some friends that um, have married people with children and, you know, they come to me with their concerns and stuff. And it's like, you know, I mean, I understand that, but you're not the child's parents. So 
you can be supportive of your spouse and you can be supportive of the kids. Mm -hmm. But really, that's the point where you just have to draw the line and say, they're not my children. I just want to be supportive and talk to your significant other in private about it. Um, if you have a real concern, but most of the time it's yeah. just somebody got their feelings hurt because, you know, something happened and I love these people, but some of the stories that they come to me as the step parent, they want to have influence over these kids. And it's like, it's mm-hmm. not your kids. Like my, one of my best friends actually married a guy who had three kids because she can't have kids. And she's like, I married him because I wanted a family and I was getting three kids. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you were getting three step kids. And I know some people don't use the word step and all that. And that's great if you can have that relationship. But that's not everyone because you have to understand there's somebody on the other side that is this first, these children's mother. And while they're not going to be perfect because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. No one's perfect. They are going to make mistakes. But it's best to just leave the, let the parents co-parent. And if the other parent, want the, if the other mother wants to bring you in, by all means, that's great. And they... <laughs> They got over their little petty disagreement and now they're besties. The, the mother and the stepmother are now, and it's like, see, yeah, I mean, it could work great. It could, yeah. it really, it really could. Because I mean, I know of um, a case where, you know, the father was giving, given full custody due to uh, drug issues with, with the other side. And the stepmother's doing a great job with these kids. She's doing a fantastic job. And I'll, I'll leave that one there, but you know, we've we've got to work together and make you know th- these kids only have one childhood; they only go through it once. Yeah, let's not botch it for them. Yeah, and one thing that I learned going through some um, business coaching I did this summer to help me in my professional life really ended up being it's all driven by your personal life. Yeah, secrets out, <laughs> and then even goes further that your childhood trauma mm-hmm. is what is causing you all of your adulthood problems. So all this chaos in the world mm-hmm. today was bred yeah. when we were all children. And I, mm-hmm. I'm terrible. There was a movie, and I want to. Oh, I think it's called maybe the. Don't we have to Google? But maybe the gift of trauma is the movie. You pay like. 10 or 15 bucks to watch it. And I would recommend, don't quote me on the title, but maybe Google it. But I watched that this summer and it was just mind blowing and eye opening at how family court is really, it solidified my position on this, watching it. What our kids experience and don't get to experience because they're alienated or whatnot, a kidnap in my case don't get to experience is causing trauma mm-hmm. that has been playing out in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Heck, I mean, there's a 72-year-old mass shooter in California. I mean, people are acting out in their 70s. And mm-hmm. from this guy who's an expert and has studied it, and he's got all kinds of degrees to back it up. I mean, this all started when they were kids. We were all kids. And family court is to me, the number one culprit that's causing these traumas to happen in people's childhood. I mean, granted, yes, there are people that are sexually abused as a child and physically abused as a child and all that, and that doesn't happen. But family court, when 50% of the divorces or marriages end in divorce, you bam, you're setting the whole next generation up right there 
for trauma. Oh, yes. Yeah. And this keeps the wheel going. And you and I are trying to break the cycle. And that's why I'm so glad to meet you. Actually, I met you on LinkedIn. (laughs) I'm so glad to meet you, too. And, you know, this is another thing that I've told people. I would post my story on Facebook and, and other social media platforms. And I was called crazy. And my story was so unbelievable because a lot of the things we've talked about had not happened yet. And so when you're in the fog and you just can't make sense of it, you're in the journey. You're okay. in the thick of it. If you don't right. understand it, it's half, you're in it. You're in the moment. You just can't see the bigger picture because you, you're not at their level to see what their puppet strings are doing. Mm-hmm. But um, you're in it. If you're just like, none of this makes sense. Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? You're in the rabbit hole, honey. You're down in it, deep in it, and they want you to feel that way. Mm-hmm. And so I was posting this all on Facebook and trying to find supporters and other people's stories so that I knew I wasn't alone because it was very isolating to go through what I went through. And that's what they want. They want you to feel isolated. They want you to feel like you have no support network. And one of my um, peers from high school, um, I posted my story and I said, we have to go after these judges in our class reunion page on Facebook and I thought hey if all people will go it'd be my high school friends mm-hmm. they know I'm not crazy the lady that runs it as the admin said get your crazy stuff off our page and she kicked me out of the group and I'm like oh no oh my gosh so you know what I did I was like okay well Facebook's not really the platform to tell no. my story but you know what it is LinkedIn I, I took my story to LinkedIn and that's where I found the most people mm-hmm. and people with stories like mine, because what happens is these are people's careers. Mm-hmm. People go to college to earn money, to be a lawyer. They go to, they go to school to learn how to be, you know, a sec- an administrative assistant in a courtroom. They learn how to do these jobs at some level to be a functioning adult. These are people's careers. And if you or I behave and acted like they act and right. did our jobs to the level of sloppiness and illegalities, <laughs> how, did I say that right? Yep. Of <laughs> them, we would be fired. We would be blacklisted from every ever having another job. We right. would be banned from our profession. We'd have our licenses taken. You know, we'd be strung up and left to die, you know, like done. You'd be oh, over. Yes. yes. And when I took my story to LinkedIn and presented it as this is someone's paid job, not only paid, but paid for by taxpayers. Our tax money is funding these judges and these courtrooms, and these are the outcomes. Mm. I was starting to gain some traction in finding people, and I gained that support network in the most unlikely of places of putting my dirty laundry, they said, which was not my dirty laundry, it was theirs, on a professional board because we have to remember these are people's careers. And they're not serving the community in which they were elected to serve and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. swore an oath as a lawyer to uphold the Constitution of the United States. And there is a thing called civil rights. Mm-hmm. And they're they're being violated left and right. Oh, yes. And oh, yes. Even one of my mentors who 
was the former chair of my professional organization at the national level. You know, I'm putting this stuff on LinkedIn thinking, oh, God, they're going to come for my license if I keep putting this on there. I said I was going after that judge. That was my ex's attorney and, you know, was his attorney when I decided when he was 15 to walk away because this was not going anywhere because he was the one that was saying, if you have sex with me, I'll get you a better outcome. I'm not having sex with you to get custody of my kid when I should have custody of my kid anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I posted that on LinkedIn that I'm going after him because now I have a public reprimand from the Board of Professional Responsibility at the bar. Mm-hmm. You know, the chair of our professional organization liked the post. That's all it takes. It's all it takes is somebody of some substantial higher up authority to look at this and go, you know what? Like, and and give our stories validity and that we're not crazy because these are people's professions. And taking this story to LinkedIn was the best move that I ever made. And I found so many wonderful professionals like you and other people that are advocating for what's right and fair justice. I mean, and I get, I don't have all the answers. I only know my story, my experience, what my family went through and my friends went through. And things like that. And other stories people tell. And we just have to keep telling them. And I I tell people all the time, the most unlikeliest of places is where I found my support network, which is LinkedIn. And, you know, some people at the beginning were like, this is LinkedIn. This is professional. You shouldn't be airing your dirty laundry on here. And those people are going to get blocked. (laughs) Right, right. Narcissists and people like that only want uh, people that are silent right? Or people that will enable them. And when you and I and other people come out and speak about people's careers and their job they're not doing, and they're not upholding the law, they're not meeting these, you know, they're violating civil rights laws. And you call them out on a professional platform because it is their job. Mm -hmm. And you don't get sued for slander and libel. (laughs) That means that it's true, right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, irks their little flying monkeys as they say and this is their flying monkeys trying to intimidate you to tell you to take it down off a professional website Mm -hmm. but you know we have to speak out so that people know who the problem attorneys are who the problem judges are Mm -hmm. you know maybe this court would be better to file something in versus this one you know and and i'm not giving legal advice i'm just these are my experiences Mm -hmm. what I lived through locally, I can't speak to anybody else in another state or area. And that's why we need people across the country to get involved, you know, oh, yes. and, and start their own white ribbon organization in their state and mm-hmm. get these court watchers advocates in your courtrooms. You know, we don't have, we don't have Zoom in our courtroom. They won't let you bring a phone in. It's all hush here. You're not allowed well, to bring any yeah. kind of recording device in. No. You're not allowed to stream anything that they will put cameras in the courtroom and that, that needs to change, you know, that it, there needs to be accountability. Right. Oh, and right. At the end of the day, I have accountability for my job and it seems like they have none, you know, until of late we're getting some, we're gaining some traction on that. And I feel like we just need more people. You know, it, with it, um, can people reach you through whiteribbon.org? Um, so it would be better. Um, we're, we're just getting started, but you could uh, reach out there for volunteer. If you want to become an advocate or get more information on that, you can reach out there. There's an email and a phone number. 
can get more information on our organization there and what we do. We have a lot of resources for people. Um, there is a legal resource. Um, I think it'll take you to other states, but ours obviously is predominantly Tennessee, but you can find resource there. But you can email me at L-E-I-S-A-L-O-F-T-I-F at Gmail. That's my personal account. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, share your story with me, especially if you're in my area. Yeah. I would love people to come forward that have had their civil rights violated by the court. Um, perfect example. I was ordered that I couldn't cut my hair more than four inches by a court order. So I was not allowed to get a haircut without the judge approving it. That's a violation of my civil rights. I was, yeah, I was ordered that I couldn't have um, one of my best friends who I'd known since junior high, who was the best man in our wedding over at my house past midnight. He couldn't stay at my house. Like his kids, his daughter and my daughter were besties. And um, they were watching Frozen for the 99th time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was a weekend and the movie like went off at like 12 20 or something you know it's like let's watch it one more time oh and you know God. it's like you can't say no to these cute <laughs> okay it's saturday we're you know we you can it'll get it'll turn off at 12 30 it won't be too late no they i'm i they they got mad and wanted to put me in jail for that. They tried to put me in jail for 10 days because he was in my home past midnight. And in Tennessee, they have this thing, and it's called like Rule 42. It's a morality clause that local judges can actually put on women to where men can't be in their homes. They can't have, I was put on an order that I can't have sex in my home when my kids are there. Like I can't close the door and lock it and be in there with my husband, my significant other. And have sex while they're here. They have to be out of the home. And it's like, I thought y'all were the people that loved babies and wanted to create this huge population. Like, I can't do it if I'm prohibited from, you know, certain things. Like, I can't make babies on my own. I mean, I guess I could, IVF. But, um, you know, these orders are violating people's civil rights. And it's not just mine. Mm-hmm. I'm not naive to think it's just me. There's others out there. And I would really love to hear people's stories, especially in my area. Obviously, I can't fly everywhere or be everywhere. But I feel like we have some people at the federal level that wants to hear our stories, especially if it violates civil right laws. And, you know, mm-hmm. not being able to cut your hair is a violation of your civil rights. <laughs> well, I'm glad I had you on because I'd like to have you back on. And, you know, with as you go with this white ribbon dot org. And I'm so glad we had this discussion. Yeah, definitely. So uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, a podcast. Help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with Lisa Loftus in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you so much. Thank you.